0: I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Well, Keeley, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Chris.
0: I am too. Well, so we we had never met, and I actually had heard you on somebody else's podcast, and you were talking a little bit about your sales career. And that that career progression, moving up to the VP role, and you know, uh, building up a big team, and then you know, maybe getting a little bit burned out in the process. Um, so, why don't you share a little bit about your sales journey and where you were and where you're at now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, been in sales about seventeen years, almost coming up on eighteen. Um, but I'm just one of those people that loves it. It didn't matter what I'm selling. I just love I love the process of sales. I love meeting people. And so I did build a pretty big sales career in the b 2 c space and financial education, high ticket sales, and uh, grew grew a big career on the, you know, the corporate side and managing teams of about six hundred and directors and all the things. But like you mentioned, I just I got burnt out. And, you know, looking back, as much money as I was making as a VP, and you have all the accolades and the titles and all the, Things that look like stability. Looking back, I'm like, I would have been better off if I had just stayed as a sales rep (laughs) because I remember being on these teams. Like, man, you know, almost jealous in a way—not in a bad way—but jealous of my sales reps. I'm like, I want to be in there in the arena with you. I want to sell, and so I just kept getting pulled into meetings and analytics team and all the things that happen when you get into a leadership role. So I left. Um, I quit at the peak of my career. People thought I was crazy our uh, HR director told me, are you, know, are you sure you want to do this? You're on track to be an officer in this company. I was the only woman you know, on the executive team. And I was just like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm not having fun. And I want to coach. I want to like coach salespeople. So I left to start my own firm. And I left in 2017 and never looked back. And I'm happier than I've ever been. And I've also got a real estate business with my father. So actively selling myself, uh, raising millions of dollars from investors, and just, in my opinion, living my dream life and couldn't be happier about it.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll come back around working with your father. I'm curious to hear more about that. But, you know, I, I do talk to uh, people sometimes, you know, people that I've worked with, team members that have been on my team, and we talk about their career and sometimes they want to move up the chain and go into management. I do sometimes, you know, I support them, but I sometimes joke that, you know, be careful what you ask for. Yeah. It's a totally different role. And, you know, there are days where I look back and go, oh, boy, that was so much fun as just a sales rep. Things were simple.
1: <laughs> they're simple and there's so much less responsibility. And, you know, I made really great money as an executive, but or I should say, and, and my sales reps were making just as much without all the corporate meetings, without 23 days of travel per month, without, without all the pressure from the C team of the team's performance. So I would also echo that and say, be careful, <laughs> be careful what you ask for, and maybe reconsider just sticking it out in the sales role because it's uh, a lot less pressure and responsibility
0: yeah you know and we're in an interesting time right now because as the the economy potentially softens maybe we go into a recession if sales slow down at a company i mean i've been doing this long enough inevitably what happens is they go from focusing on how do we go grow and go to market you know they, i guess more of that outward view and then they shift to this inward view they start inspecting things they start tracking things they start looking at more metrics because you know, I mean, I understand they're trying to figure out how to get out of that and how to grow revenue and, um, and it can become a difficult time. And, you know, as a, as a salesperson, you can only control what you can control, which is go have your meetings, continue to execute. But as a, especially that first line manager, you're sort of in between all that pressure. That's a, that's a tough, uh, the tough role.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And it's like you said, just my advice is keep your head down and keep selling because if you're a top performer in your company, and you've got this skill set where you're able to sell. It doesn't matter the industry that you're in; you're just great with people. You will never be without a job. You've got limitless income, even in a down economy. Companies desperately need their top performers to sell.
0: Yeah, well, shift. Uh, just uh, maybe, maybe stay on this topic of the recession. So, any tips or other suggestions for a rep that maybe is is concerned? They're seeing all the news around them. A lot of noise, a lot of distractions. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, any suggestions on how to maybe pivot or sell or act differently during a, a downturn?
1: Yeah, and I think my my advice is twofold. The first one is understand where your potential clients or existing accounts what they're dealing with with their company. And we're not probably, you, you know, I both know this, Chris, being in real estate and looking at the economy. We're not going to get out of this before you know probably at least fourth quarter. Things are going to be a little bit tough, and so companies are going to be evaluating budgets and where they're currently spending money. And so taking care of your existing accounts is going to be crucial in making sure that they're, you know, they're happy and understanding what their needs are and where their company's at. And for new accounts that you're prospecting, you know, getting flexible in what it is that you offer and not discounting. i never discount your product, but be flexible in terms of solutions. Give them give them flexibility in what they can choose from and how they can structure, structure a deal with you, knowing that budgets might be a little bit tighter. And then the other half of that is, you've got to also have the mind frame that as a sales rep, you've got to have this mindset of we're not in a recession. Because if you start to believe that, and that that belief will lead to actions that don't align with what you should be doing on a day-to-day basis, because our egos wants to take it easy. Our ego's lazy. And it's like, oh, you know what? We are in a recession. They're not going to buy anyways. I'm not going to go after that account. And I was in a, a sales conference back in 2010, They had somebody on stage that tripled his business in 2008 during the recession and tripled his business. People are like, how did you do it? They were interviewing him. And what he said was profound. And he said, I simply refuse to believe we were in a recession. And so I think the belief system there is so important. As you're, you know, as you are have the right mindset going after these big accounts and still pushing it 100% when you're selling, and just be flexible, knowing what your companies, your current accounts and your your um, prospective accounts, the companies are going after, what they might be dealing with. But we got to maintain the mindset up here first that um, anything is possible, and companies are still buying regardless of what's happening.
0: Yeah. I mean, that last point is so true. So I was just reading an article about Amazon, right? So Amazon laid off, I don't know, 15, 18,000 people, their CEO was given a talk and yeah, you know, their stock is down and you know, part of their compensation package is stock. But I also have friends that sell to Amazon and guess what? They still have a huge capital budget. They're still spending. Now, maybe they're shifting spending in certain areas as a way to figure out how do we maybe take this time to pivot, shift, whatever. But um, to your point, understanding what customers are trying to do, maybe they're going to invest in technology instead of bodies to save cost and manage, you know, how they get through uh, a downturn. So um, there's tremendous opportunity. You just have to kind of be paying attention and figure out how do you shift and solve the right problem.
1: Yes. I love that. Yeah.
0: Well, so, um, Keely, let's talk a little bit about, uh, Pipeline and prospecting. So, um, I was checking. I was doing some research on you, and I saw a blog on your website, and you were talking about pipeline and prospecting. I, I, I'm curious. You know what what are you seeing that's working? Maybe some tips, tricks that reps should be thinking about right now.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing, the challenge that I see the most with any, any sales rep that I'm coaching or any business owner, or any manager that's running a sales team is their reps are not making time for prospecting. They're just dealing with, you know, existing accounts or what's coming through the door, which is fine. But as we get into an economy like we're in right now, it's especially crucial that you're filling your pipeline months in advance. You might be in a sales cycle in your enterprise selling and You know, your sales cycle is eight months long. So it's crucial that we're making sure we're filling the pipeline. And what I see with most reps and most business owners is they're not allocating time on a weekly basis to actually spend the time to prospect. They're dealing with the, you know, what's it called? The tyranny of the urgent. It's like triage, right? Who's bleeding out? What accounts do I have to deal with right now? I've got to, you know, I've got to send this email and, prospecting is important, but it doesn't feel urgent. So it keeps getting pushed to the next day or the next week and I'll get to that eventually. And we have to block out that time on our calendar and keep it sacred. Keep it as as if it were a meeting with one of your biggest potential accounts and you would never no-show it. You have to treat those meetings with yourself the same way to make sure that that stuff gets done. Because it's the only thing that we have control over in sales. You have zero control over how much you actually sell. Most people don't want to hear that, but it's the truth, right? We can't control whether our prospect or an existing account continues to say yes, or they don't buy from us, or they cancel a contract. We have no control over that. We can influence it. That you know, That's where good sales strategies come into play, but we have zero control. And the only thing we do have control over is, am I having new conversations? conversations equal cash. And if I've got control over my behaviors, am I doing the behaviors on a weekly basis that will lead to a full pipeline so I never feel stressed out? I never feel desperate at the end of the quarter trying to hit my number.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and you, you hit on that the key point there, uh, conversation. Sometimes people, you know, I have talked to reps and they hear prospecting, they think, all right, it has to be cold prospecting. Well, that's not true, right? I mean, it's it's conversations. And so it could be cold prospects. It could be existing customers. It's when you start picking up the phone and start having conversations, not about a specific deal that you're chasing, but mm-hmm. um, sit down and have a conversation with one of your accounts, maybe a new contact within the account, um, you never know what you're going to turn up.
1: If most reps would just start asking for referrals, like if they just started there, they would have a full pipeline. And most people don't do it because they've got head trash around, you know, I haven't earned the right to ask for a referral yet, or I don't want to bother people, or I don't want to rock the boat because I just got this new account. And referrals are your best source of income. I have a, a personal business coach who's built a multi-six-figure—I would guess to say probably close to seven-figure business on referrals alone. And it's just because he's asking. He's asking from people that tell him no. So if you know he's got a prospective meeting with a client, doesn't work out, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I enjoyed our conversation today. I understand that it's just not the right fit or right timing for both of us." Out of curiosity, now that you know, you know what it is that I do and who I help. Who do you know that you think I should be talking to? And just asking that question and the reps don't ask it. That's a problem. That's the quickest place to find prospects.
0: That's interesting. So um, I've never, I guess I've never really thought about asking, you know, maybe I'm on a first call and I'm meeting with somebody and yeah, it's not really a good fit. Um, I don't think I've ever asked them for a referral before.
1: Yeah. yeah here's why it works. It's the law of reciprocity. A lot of times people feel bad if you've spent you know a substantial amount of time or even if it's 30 minutes. you've spent time with them. you've asked them a lot of questions to understand their challenges, their business, but it's just not the right fit. So when they feel bad is the perfect time to ask them for a favor and they want to help you out and they want to refer somebody to you because they've had hopefully a great experience with you even though your product or service isn't the right fit. They want to give you referrals. So especially from the people that tell you no and the people that tell you yes
0: yeah I've always been a, a a big fan of asking the existing customers, especially the ones that you've done good work for, for referrals. Mm-hmm. but i have seen reps struggle with it because they go and they ask and like, oh, let me think about it. you know, and then they never get back. And so what I've encouraged over the years was, all right, well, make it easy for your customer because they're they've got so much going on. It's like you know, you just hit them with a surprise they're not ready for it, and then, you know you, that question goes way down on the priority list maybe do your own research, look at their LinkedIn, see who they're connected to that is a prospect for you. And then, you know, you can ask them the general question and then you can go back and say, hey, I noticed that you're connected to so-and-so uh, and so-and-so, any chance I could get a referral to them around what we do and yeah. you know, just I be love specific.
1: That. I love that strategy. And I would even go as far as saying as write the email for them. I've done that in the past um, to make it super easy for them, write the introduction email. And the other thing, too, that you want to do is take the pressure off of them. So I'll say, um, you know, Chris, I pre- certainly appreciate the introduction. But before you do that, can I tell you just what would happen, you know, if I were to end up meeting with them? Just there's no pressure on you. And there's certainly no pressure on me either. Like, yeah, you know, tell me. I'd love to hear about it. So the way that I look at it is just two people getting together to understand each other's businesses and have a conversation about what's working, what's not working, and then together figure out if it makes sense to keep talking. That's the only thing I'm looking for. And it's like, oh, okay, that's so low pressure. I'm willing to open up my Rolodex because you're not going to come in there and slam people into a sale. And so then writing the introduction where it's like, you know, hey, Chris, meet John. You know, John is a seasoned XYZ expert. And I think it's worth the two of you at least having a conversation and meeting each other. And that's it. It's not about doing business. It's not about buying from each other. We're just trying to introduce a conversation. So writing the actual email for them and sending it over Makes it easy for them to copy paste and get it done for you.
0: Yeah, I actually just had a uh, one of my team members had reached out to a, a prospect, but you know his line he started off in the email was you know so and so had suggested that I give you a call, and you know a lot of times when they get that email they might see that first line of the sentence, and you know that they stop they see that they open it up. Otherwise, you know it's it's not any fault of the customer. They're just so busy they have a hundred emails in their inbox, and that that name right at the top. Can catch their attention.
1: Yes, I love that.
0: Before we jump into the topic, I wanted to let you know that we just launched a monthly drawing for one of our insulated high-tech freedom tumblers. Now, I've been sending these out as a thank you gift to each of our guests and the response has been great. You know, everyone has a full size coffee cup, a Yeti, or whatever brand that they might use, but not everybody has the small tumbler that you can put your wine or beverage of choice in. And they're great for the deck, beach, camping, or just, you know, just keeping your drink warm or cold. Now, I'm not selling these, but I am excited about them. So we decided to offer these up to the loyal podcast listeners by doing a monthly drawing. So if you're interested, go to hightechfreedom.com. Forward slash mug. That's M U G, and you'll see a picture of the Tumblr and you can enter. We'll just collect your name, phone number, and email. And if you do win, we'll then follow up and ask for your mailing address so we know where to send it. If you don't win, your name stays in, so you don't need to re-enter. Okay, so referrals one uh, one great way. What else would you uh, recommend uh, a rep should be doing to you know, drive and create more? connections and conversations.
1: Well, I think a lot for a lot of enterprise, you know, sales reps, LinkedIn is such a big big player, a great resource to start conversations. And so I think, you know, getting to people through LinkedIn is a a great way to try to surpass their email inbox. If you're selling to the C-suite, which a lot of people that are probably listening to this that are in enterprise sales, you should be, right? You should be selling to the CTO, going to the top and uh, letting them, you know, disperse it from there and having their team actually discuss it with you. It's always easier to sell to the top versus trying to start lower and work your way up. But knowing that if you are selling to, you know, an officer in a company, they get hundreds of emails per day. And so it's, really getting in that mindset. So one of my best friends, her husband is a managing partner of one of the top five CPA firms and hearing his perspective as a managing partner. And how do we get, like, we want to sell to that office. How do we get his attention? He's like, I don't, you know, I just deleting emails, forwarding them. Like, I don't even have time to go through them every single day. But if you were to send a handwritten note, to my office. So handwritten letters are a thing of the past. And I would like to resurface those personally. I mean, I do it. And I think other sales reps should really take a look at it and actually getting that send a courier service to overnight it and get it to somebody's office. And not typing it out and then signing your name. Actually handwriting a letter to somebody in a C-suite is a great way to surpass their entire inbox and get straight to their office. So getting creative with how you get a hold of people and realizing it's going to take you know a few different ways, it's not going to be a one shot, you're going to get a response from them, so it's persistence, but getting creative about how you get a hold of people,
0: yeah. And the reality is, if they have a FedEx envelope sitting on their desk, they're going to open it, yes, <laughs> it's just going to happen. <laughs> they yeah. are,
1: I'll tell you, this is funny. So, there's uh, this guy that's in um one of the sales trainings that I'm in because I have two coaches. I have a business coach and I have a sales coach. And this sales coach is incredible. He was my coach back in 2010, became my executive coach, when he was a VP. And I rehired him not too long ago because I really believe in mentors and coaches. And so this, this guy was in there and uh, my coach's name is Adam. And he was like, tell me creative stuff that you guys have done to get a hold of, you know, prospects this guy was like, I'd sent a bunch of emails, still had no response, messaged him on LinkedIn, you know, nothing. But I could see that he was opening stuff. He goes, so I went to the grocery store and I bought a can of Spam and I hand wrote him a letter and put the Spam in a box and said, hey, I know you probably feel like this is Spam, but it's not. And here's why we should talk. And the guy called him because it was funny. He literally got a can of Spam at his office. Um, I've seen other people that have sent a mini happy hour, a small bottle of, you know, Dom Perignon, like a little mini bottle of champagne and a little mini cheese board getting in front of people and getting a hold of them is you just have to get creative. And I I love that idea, whether it's funny um, or you're sending them a little mini happy hour, they will respond when you've gone the extra step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, sometimes I think though, don't reps feel uncomfortable doing some of that.
1: Probably, but I feel like it's, we get too serious in sales. Yeah. We need to have more fun. Think about it. If you're selling to the C-suite, their whole day is serious, Everything's serious, everything's numbers, spreadsheets, you know, projections, reports. Like why not surprise them with something that's funny? Right. And you bring your personality into it. So yeah. I think that uh, my business coach this year taught me this and I've pr- I'm proof of it. She said the more fun you have, the more money you'll make. She's like you're an intense personality kill. You got to loosen up and have more fun. So, you know, and I'm proof that it yes, this year it was less stressful, more fun, more revenue.
0: Yeah. I great advice. I, you know, I need to do more of that.
1: We all should have more fun, right? what's the point of doing this if it's so stressful?
0: Totally. A team member yesterday kind of caught me off guard. We were on a call and she said, do you ever laugh when somebody's, you know, when people are watching, just laugh out loud for some reason? I'm like, well, if I did, I don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, you know, I probably do need to do that more often.
1: Right. Yeah. I've been told that I'm a very intense personality and I'm sure you're familiar with disc profiles. I mean, we Taught on it, trained on it, you know, assessed all of our salespeople. And I know, I know myself very well. And I am that D-dominant personality type. And so I can be very intense because I'm just a driver. Like, let's get to the finish line.
0: Get it done. And my yeah. business
1: coach is like, you're sucking all the fun out of the process and you scare people when you do that. So this <laughs> has really taught me like, lighten up. It's not that intense. Like, you're The more fun you have, the more money you're going to make. So yeah. find ways to smile and bring joy to people's life and the process. And they want to be a part of what you're doing.
0: The more fun you have, the more money you'll make. I like it. Well, um curious. So. You know, I've done in the past, I've gone out uh, to the field and I've sat down with reps as we were going to do some pipeline building, prospecting and so on. And um, yeah, there's been times where we sit there for like, it seemed like hours getting organized Mm -hmm. and not doing a lot of prospecting. I am curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, how does a rep kind of best organize their campaigns, their process, whatever it is that they want to do to be able to go more efficiently and faster?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I would say we can definitely get caught up in spending too much time trying to organize and create the perfect, you know, automation and the perfect process and we never just start with step 1. So I'm a much bigger fan of start with step one, figure out who you're going to reach out to, and you'll figure out you'll figure out your follow-up if you haven't heard back from them after that. But don't try to get the whole process done before you start reaching out. But I also think that in terms of time blocking on your calendar, you've got to block off time, I would say at least three times a week. And usually 30 to 45 minutes is how much time I allocate. And the reason for that is if you go longer than that, you get to a place where you're burnout out and you don't want to do it. So you have to do it for just long enough that you're still excited about it and the time (laughs) cuts you off and then you do it again two days later. So, but block off time at least three times a week, 30 to 45 minutes. Time it should be for research, who am I actually reaching out to and then execution. Mm -hmm. And we can't get stuck in the research phase and building this process out. It's like, who should I be talking to? And I'm just going to reach out.
0: Yeah, And then
1: I'll figure out the follow-up after that. But the first contact has got to get out there.
0: Yeah, one thing that I like to do uh, when I had to do this myself is, there are maybe ways to make it easier. So if you're focusing on one specific vertical, it just makes it easier with the conversations. It's a little bit more repeatable. So go follow up with all your existing healthcare accounts. Go do all your cold prospecting and healthcare accounts. And you know you start to get some of that healthcare lingo down around whatever it is you do as it relates to the healthcare business.
1: I love that. Yeah. That's a great way to streamline it.
0: So Keely, as we get close to wrapping it up here, you talk to a lot of salespeople. You've had big teams. What do you see that maybe separates the top you know, 10, 20% from the, from the rest of the pack.
1: It's what they believe to be true about themselves. It's not strategy. You know, I've trained sales reps that know that knew my sales process and talk tracks well enough that they could have taught it in a room full of 10,000 people and nailed it right from a training perspective, but they weren't closing business and the reason for that is what's going on between their ears. And I truly believe that your success in sales and your top performers have a different belief system and mindset. You've got to be bulletproof in this business. You and I both know that. You're going to get rejected on a daily basis. You might even get cussed out. Like there's, It's hard, right? That's why every, not everybody's cut out to be a sales rep. That's why we make the big bucks. But you've got to develop this bulletproof mindset and what you believe to be true about yourself. And if you want to be at the top of your company, you have to see yourself there first if you ever want to get there. So on a daily basis, and I I remember when I was in high ticket sales, this was my family started out as a franchise and we were selling education that was 15 to 75 grand B2C, right? So high ticket for individuals. And I was the only woman in the company selling this education. I had all this head trash around. I'm 24 years old. You know, why is anybody going to listen to me? The the people that are coming in are 50, 60 years old. They're men. Like, what are they going to think about me? I'm in Texas. I had all this crap going on in my head that was not true write about why I couldn't do this. And it was a coach that finally shook it out of me like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you telling yourself these lies? And so I really started to transition that into, I'm the number one sales rep in the company. And seeing myself as that person, what would she do today? How would she pick up the phone? Who would she call? What are the questions she would ask? How bold would she be in the actions and the decisions that she makes on a daily basis? And that's how I got to number three in the company in 10 months. I started, I was already two months behind when I came in the door as a sales rep and I made it to number three in the company out of hundreds of reps in 10 months. It was the first woman in president's club. And I did it because I saw myself there first. Yeah. I visualized myself walking the stage. And I believe that, yes, that's who I am. And that person that I want to be is going to be the one making phone calls today. It's your belief system. hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And that, that visualization is so powerful. I mean, I've, even I've even done that just for sales calls, right? Just trying to imagine, all right, myself up in front of the room doing the presentation, maybe doing the final review of the project and the deal. You know, some of the questions that they might ask. When you start to go through that process, um, you know, you're kind of predicting what the future could be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
0: you start acting towards that direction.
1: You know, something else, and I don't know if anybody else has dealt with this, but I used to always plan for the worst in my mind. yeah. Right? <laughs> like, Okay. So if this happens and then they have this objection, here's how I'm going to handle it. And I would just role play in my mind, worst case scenario. And one day my coach was like, why don't you plan for everything going right instead? Like, Why are you? Because I was always hitting my numbers. And I was doing amazing, but I was stressing myself out in the meantime for no reason. He's like, why don't you plan that they are going to buy from you because you did such a phenomenal job. They need what you have to offer and they're going to buy and they're going to pay top dollar and be happy about it. Why don't you in your mind, plan for that. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So things became so much less stressful when I started planning for things to go right instead of bracing for things to go wrong.
0: Well, it sounds like you, uh, over the years, you've relied heavily on your, your coaching and your guidance from your sales or business coach. Yes. Um, what made you reach out and get a business or sales coach?
1: You know, this was back in 2010. And when I hit number three in the company, I still, you know, I was like, well, I didn't hit number one. And I'm just a <laughs> big. I'm very competitive. I was like, I'm coming from that number one spot. And I knew what my issues were. And there was a certain personality type that I really struggled with. And it was the very analytical conscientious on the disc profile engineer. And our business was in Austin and we were engineers and then in and out the door all day, <laughs> every day. And I couldn't close them. Because I'm such a direct, fast to the point, hate details, I'm the opposite personality that's initially why I hired him but I've realized over the years the minute you think that you've made it that's when you fall flat on your face I'm a big believer in coaches and mentors and for me to be better for my own clients if I expect them to invest in themselves and hire me as a sales coach I better put my money where my mouth is and pay for a sales coach as well and for a business coach too so I always have people in my corner to bounce ideas off of and tell me the things that I don't want to hear where I'm screwing up and just be uh be that sounding board for me
0: yeah. And we'll have a link to your, uh, your contact information in the show notes. If you want to go check out what Keeley's doing with her coaching program, you can go to her website or, or hit her up on LinkedIn and see what she's, uh, see what she's doing. Um, so Keeley, as we're wrapping it up, you know, the, the name of the podcast is High Tech Freedom. So, you know, in this business, and you talked about it, right? It's a hard, hard job, but we do it because there's tremendous upside. And for a lot of people, a lot of salespeople, maybe that upside financially helps get you closer to some other big thing that you're working towards. I'm curious, what does freedom mean to you? What does it look like for you? What are you working towards?
1: My ultimate goal is to get to a place where I'm just traveling around the world teaching sales for free. I just want to, you know, put me in front of the room, put me on a stage, put me in front of business owners at conferences or sales reps and where, you know, for me, it's the real estate business that's building the wealth behind the scenes. So I can do this for free because I truly believe like everything that I've been through in my sales career and all the obstacles that I've tackled is is a survival guide for many people out there that are getting started in sales or trying to get to the next level. And I would love to just bless them with that and give it away for free. So that is like my ultimate goal. I'll never not be sales training. <laughs> I'll be 80 years old on stage talking about sales, but I just, it's my passion and I love seeing people win.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, you talked about uh, doing the real estate work with your dad. So I didn't do it with my dad, but for twenty plus years, I actually built a real estate business with my father-in-law. Oh, wow. So it was kind of an interesting uh, scenario because he you know, I never really looked at him as my father-in- law for the most part. He was my business partner, and we had, you know, a division of labor within the business. But, uh, you know, I, I think you know, you hinted to this. It's been such real estate has been such an incredible way to build some additional income streams that create some freedom. And it's, a it's not a get rich quick type of process, but when you can consistently do it, maybe carve out some of those commission checks over time, put that money to work so it's working for you. It can set you up because to the listener, you all know people that have been working really hard, and you see the nice cars that they drive. And you know the risk is you get down to you know maybe you're fifty years old and you've had all these this great commission, you've got RSUs, and but you're looking at it going, hey, wait a minute, my four hundred one k is not enough to support my retirement. And you just got to watch that that uh, that spending creep that goes along with the increased commissions, and find a way to put some of that money back to work. And maybe it's real estate, maybe it's something else. But for both you and I, Keeley, uh, the real estate piece has worked out really well.
1: It is, and you know, looking back at my sales career, I I wish I had known about real estate investing. You know, when I was a sales rep, and when I when I was an executive. Uh, in the space. Because when I left is when I learned about it. And I'm like, man, if I had really been intentional about setting aside, like you're saying, commission checks and building wealth on the side, I truly believe that it's hard to become wealthy on a W-2 income. And sales is commission-based, but it's still W-2 income. The way that you become wealthy is putting that money to work and investing it. And I'm so glad that that's what you you help people do. Because I know for the, the sales reps out there that are slammed and they're super busy and you know, you're busy, you're you're making high, high income and you're super busy, but you don't have time to look at your investments. And so I wish I had known about passively investing in real estate because it would have definitely launched me even further um on the wealth side of things. So I think it's really cool what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, you bet thank you. And like and back at you. Well, Keely, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience?
1: Um, no, I think I think we've hit on everything. I I really, if you're gonna spend time in the sales space and developing yourself. I always say, start with your head first, because you know all the things, you know what you're supposed to be saying, you know who you're supposed to be calling, but there's something going on in between your ears on why you're not doing it. And I think addressing that will take you further in sales than anything else will.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Well, Keely, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me, Chris.